Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Could be a trip on the beautiful vista plateaus and valleys, or just another trip into the abyss of the minds of the film guys. It is another edition of Filmically Perfect on 913 WYSO. I'm Nikki Dakota, your host, and it is always a titillating pleasure to welcome to the studio our film guys. First, we welcome the storyboard artist for more than 20 years for the Coen Brothers and many films that we know and love. He's talent, he's awesome, he's our friend. He's a film guy. He's J. Todd Anderson. J. Todd. Thank you very much, and I'm not from Laramie. <laughs> also in the studio, live in person, and it has been hard to fit him in here, being that he possesses the largest frame brain on the planet, the nitrate film archivist for the Library of Congress, and our film guy. He's George Willeman. George. And it so pleases me that you said we were titillating. <laughs> There's a little titillation in the uh, movie that we're going to be uh, seeing today. Yeah. It is uh, given, given away there in the, in the title, the very first lyric of that the song. The man from Laramie. <laughs> Was that a hit song ever on the radio? Did it make it? No, I'm not aware of. <laughs> Unlike we but have the, our the, way with the, the sort of the sort of hit song, the, the calm and yeah. the sort of lyrical quality of that totally belies the gut wrenching film that follows it, especially when they shoot him in the hand. Yikes! We're warning you, folks. That's not even a spoiler. And, there, and there's, there's they not shoot even, him in the hand. There's not even one hand shooting, but two hands yeah. shot. It is the 1955 classic uh, Cinemascope movie um, shot by director Anthony Mann called The Man from Larrabee. It's Jimmy Stewart, but not the... Not the one that we might have supposed no, to work. Yeah, Stewart. this is this is a, an older, an older, wiser James Stewart. More but you got to remember, this is a, you know Jimmy Stewart. We can identify with this guy. I, I mean, people back then could identify with him. You got to remember, Jimmy Stewart flew twenty five missions in World War Two and a B twenty four Liberator bomber. And before the war, he was the Philadelphia story cutie. You know, he yeah. was the lovable boy. He was, and then after the war, ooh, him and Arthur Kennedy became quite the team with Anthony Mann for about six pictures. Which only adds to the, the, the impact and the power of his role, which is he's in the stark scenes with momentary from zero to 60 sort of, uh, uh, what's it, barbarity. And, yeah. uh, well, and it's sort of a hallmark of Anthony Mann. And one of the reasons I like him is that, there, you know, the film will go along and then there's a sudden blinding violence yes. that just occurs and it's vicious and it's very real and then you you figure out that he has done something he has tricked you and walked you into this trap and before you know it you're getting shot in the hand before and we it walk... really hurts by that yes, time indeed. it doesn't hurt you can shoot the guy in the hand up front in this movie but anthony mann knows how to torture people he's done a lot of torturing in movies <laughs> and before we walk any further down this path let's remind our listeners and all of us that uh, to appear on this list to be a part of the uh, the list, this vaunted few, it is very important that uh, they pass a certain you know, did, number did, of did tests. Did Budinsky go to the vault and get that thing out today? Yeah, which thing? 
Our list. Oh, the list. Yes, he, he brought part of it. Out. We only bring a section of the list out because to bring the whole list out at one time would just be much too much. You should hear that guy gripe about that. You know, we tell him, we tell him, no fingerprints on the list, Budinsky. Well, because Stop we do it. have it inscribed on large gold plates. The heavy list, gentlemen, is he's got these. a hernia trust now because he's carrying. There it are rules, and these hey, rules are. Hey, you know, are... the Man from Laramie is a perfect movie because it creates a world it exists in, and it, it wholly sustains that world. And regardless of changes in society, it retains its meaning and entertainment value. And Man from Laramie will never be placed in any preferential or numerical order. It is perfect by its own scale. Ooh. It's a beautiful movie. I'll say that. It is one pretty movie. And there is so much movie. stuff in that movie you can't see because Anthony Mann is a subjective director. He will put you in... Sub, no, before you know it, you're in Jimmy Stewart's head and you're walking through this movie. He does that. He's so good at starting the first three minutes of a movie and made it, making it a total subjective kind of experience. This is one of the classic... Uh, movies that he's done, you, you see in the beginning. George will tell you the. the well, it's interesting, right? Thing. I mean, we want to talk about that real quick. I mean, it kind of the very beginning when he's standing there, and there's this wonderful shot. He's kind of looking out across the the sort of blasted desert that they're standing in, and as he looks, the camera cuts to a panning shot across this vista. So immediately, as a viewer, what you have seen, you are now looking through Jimmy Stewart's eyes, but. The pan continues until it ends up on Jimmy Stewart again. Yes. So suddenly it's like what you thought was a subjective shot, it suddenly becomes an objective shot. And the reason why you become bifurcated in this situation is because he is a man of mystery. So you're not only Jimmy Stewart, but you have to like jump on the other side and say, what is with this guy? What is it? his mystery? His question marks are all floating over his head everywhere he goes, you know, like flies, only there are question marks. But at the same time, Anthony Mann, as a very skilled director, can do both of those. He can ride on a bicycle standing on his head <laughs> with cards in this book. Yes. <laughs> And he has a little bell. He can do that with his nose. Plus, that whole, that whole, that whole duality is just so enhanced by this not being our baby-faced James Stewart. It's no, not. Right. So it's like it has this he's reinforcement. Got, he's principal, but his principles are constantly challenged because he's, you know, he wants to be fulfilled, but he's got to do the right thing. Well, yeah, and that's kind of the interesting thing because if you think about the time this film came out, I mean, James Stewart had started making some more adult films, like with Winchester '73, uh, which is another man film, mm. and so and well, and and Window and Rope and things like that. But to a lot of people, he was still Jimmy, Jimmy, you know, Jimmy Stewart, sweet all American guy, and to see him in this film where he's just got vengeance in his heart and and but then all these horrible things happen to him also you know because you don't you don't take someone you like and drag them through a campfire on a rope <laughs> you know that kind of thing but you know he builds an incredible amount of, of sympathy and empathy and everything for the character right up front because yeah. you're part that guy he has these principles and everybody wants to challenge his principles no matter where he goes he's trying to do the right thing but vindication is one of those things that Anthony Mann handled better than just about. There's anybody. a hunger for vindication that right. just permeates this whole thing. Well, let's get uh, George, through the, yeah, would you? Let's get through the story real quick. I don't want to say a whole lot of it. There's there's so much going on in this film. There's so many layers. There's so many interwoven stories in this. But the basic story surrounds um, James Stewart's character um, Lockhart, who has come to the town of Coronado with three cartloads of material for a um, a dry goods shop. 
and um, you find out right at the beginning that something has happened regarding a cavalry group that has been massacred. He finds the you know bits of their their battle flag and and some costume or some not costume some uh, uniform pieces laying in the desert, and so you know there's something there that that he is that is he's wound up in his heart something that that is hurting him and he drops off the stuff and he asks the young girl played by Kathy O'Donnell Barbara um if there's anything he can pick up to take back cuz he don't want to take these three empty wagons back to Laramie and she says oh there's these salt marshes um you can take the salt as they're, far as i know it's fine they're truck drivers that's what yeah, they basically. are they're basically truck, they're drivers. Just truck drivers so they go out to pick up a load of salt and are assaulted <laughs> By the son of the big landowner in town, uh, this guy named Dave, is played by Alex Nickel, I believe it is. Who is plays in a lot of movies. Who is just psychotic. And he, he pounces on Lockhart and and basically is totally unreasonable as Lockhart is trying to explain, you know, I'm sorry, we'll pay for the salt, you know, if we have to, blah, 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 blah. Again, you're thinking, is this really necessary to Yeah, it's just completely un, unreasonable. And and he tells those men, let's see what you can do with that rope. So they take the rope, they lasso James Stewart. Just quick as pie. It just right? goes from zero to waka. Knock him off his feet, drag him and through the campfire. And the classic dragging the guy around, which we did in True Grit. Right. You'll see that's pretty cool. Dragging but him around on the back through, of a horse. Dragging him through the campfire. And then and then and then they burn his three wagons yeah. and kill all his mules. Yes. At that point, Arthur Kennedy shows up. And Arthur Kennedy is the the ranch manager. Vic, uh, right? Vic. Who is also you find out has been charged with keeping Dave out of trouble, and he's failed miserably. Yeah. So look at this: the wagons are all burnt, and the right. horses or mules are all dead. So as the story continues, I mean, Lockhart decides to stick around town because now he's got an axe to grind, and he still needs. You know that there's something he has to find out. He hasn't told anybody what this is. He's looking for a man. He basically tells someone he's looking for Mystery. a man to kill. Yeah. Now, along with him, he has uh, this old. Cowpuncher character, half Indian, half Irish guy Charlie hanging around with him, who's played by the the always wonderful Wallace Ford. Um, and he basically he he kind of leaves the movie for a time, and he'll come back every once in a while to report in, you know, what he finds out he's and like what's a, going he's on. He's like Jimmy Stewart's conscience. Yeah, he'll be out walking in the desert. There's Wallace Ford. Hey, hey, what's going on? Hey, by the way, you might want to think about this and that and this and the other thing. But you know, I really like working for you, Mister Stewart. But on the other side of the coin, the Barb is a big ranch that is run by Alec, the father of Dave. And Alec is played by another great character actor, Donald Crisp, who goes way back to D.W. Griffith's time in the early 20s. Donald Crisp has has built up this huge ranch, the Barb. And very interestingly, what I was thinking after watching this is that on the one side, Jimmy Stewart has to deal with the ranch, the Barb. On the other side, he's got Barbara Barb. Uh, the niece of and Barb Alec. means spur. That's right. Thorn. So, so there you go. Yeah. So. Remember, they turn these guys into like scaled giants so that they don't have anything else to compete with. He owns all the land from like Connecticut to Los Angeles. <laughs> right. And in fact, at one point, he goes, "You can ride. You can ride out three days in any direction, and you'll be on my land." And if then you Stuart run into says, like Chinese people, you're going to. Well, then Stuart says, "Yeah, well, you can ride out one day, and you run into the Apaches. What about that?" And he's like, "Well, I don't have any beef with them," and he leaves the Indian alone. <laughs> Um, but, but this rifles is changing the whole dynamic of the power stage on the right. West. It's a big deal, and it's a big mystery, and it's big trouble. Well, remember, repeating rifles mm-hmm. were a big contingency of the modern industrial age because most people don't know this. 
But in the Civil War, the Union did not give, the, the people that ran the Union did not give the soldiers repeating rifles because they felt that they would waste ammunition. Uh, it's a true story. The repeating rifle is, is kind of gone into history, but people at this time when they're watching this movie knew all about these guns. Winchester 73 is another movie. Right, it's all about the repeating now, rifle. Now, do we know, I'm sorry, the time frame, the time setting of this movie? Uh, post-Civil they, they don't, it's post-Civil War. Yeah. It's, it's, it's probably 1870s, mm-hmm, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but at any rate, let me get through this yes, whole thing. Yes, but yes. Um, <laughs> the story is so complicated, and I'm not going to be able to go through the whole thing because yeah. I don't want to give away the ending. It's but basically, the, like I said, the, the whole conflict comes down to... The rancher versus uh, versus the Indians in the background, but also you have another rancher, a woman who is trying to maintain her little ranch, and you have Jimmy Stewart who has this mysterious reason that has to do with this cavalry massacre that he has to find someone um, who needs killing. You, who needs killing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the second little uh, audio clip we have here is actually Donald Crisp and Arthur Kennedy. Is it on a uh, projector over there? Yeah, right. talking about. Um, Sort of Arthur Kennedy's character's failure to control Dave the son and what might happen to him and and sort of, you know, Arthur Kennedy fighting back and saying, why, maybe he should maybe just watch what he's doing. I said next time Dave gets in a mess like that, you're fired. No one's firing me off this ranch, Alec, no one. I belong here as much as you and more than Dave. You're wrong again, Vic. I like you. I've always liked you. But Dave's my blood, he my love. And liking and loving ain't the same. You made me a promise. I got a share of this ranch with Dave, and I'm holding you to it. You got nothing in your name, not even the saddle on the horse you ride. How are you going to hold me to it if I change my mind? How? So as, as the story continues on, you begin to realize that even though the film, this is what I saw, the, the, even though the film is called The Man from Laramie, the character that the whole story revolves around is Arthur Kennedy's character, Vic. Because everything that happens in the movie, everything that happened before the movie started, is a result of his action or inaction. Which is greed. Yeah. Or absence. If he had been there right. he at was the not mule there, killing. Right. He was not there when Dave went nuts and killed the mule. he was supposed to be. Right. And then later on in the film, they're going out um, because there's a, a, a lady rancher played by the great Eileen McMahon, another wonderful character actor who goes back into the great Warner Brothers. She wants to hire era. Jimmy Stewart also. She wants to hire Jimmy Stewart to work on her ranch yes. uh, to protect her cattle. Now, when he goes out to find her cattle and separate them from the barb cattle, um, Dave catches up with him again and gets into a huge gunfight. Shoots totally at him. unprovoked, shoots at him. Um, Stewart gets a lucky a lucky wing and, and sort of clips... Dave in the hand, bloodies his hand. Uh, they capture James Stewart, and in just the most incredible <sighs> piece of vengeance I have seen in film, he makes his men hold Stewart still while he puts his six-shooter up to the palm of his right hand and blows a hole through James Stewart's right hand. Ugh. Just hideous. Ugh. Hideous violence, and, and, and probably one of the quintessential... Anthony Mann moments. Again, the trick in this shot is the build up to it. It's yep. not exactly... Don't you don't see it. it. You do not see it. You don't it. see it, but you feel it. You it's feel the conditional it. build of character around this. How he can turn all these emotions into like a real objective element. Going from this incredibly subjective kind of attack to this... Okay, we're going to shoot him in the hand now. No, don't. It's hurt really <laughs> no. bad. And, yeah. and you realize afterwards that the reason this happened was because... 
Vic lets Dave go off on his own. He's not doing He's his responsible. Tisk, He's tisk. not being responsible. We're talking about the 1955 classic film, The Man from Laramie, directed by Anthony Mann, starring uh, Jimmy Stewart and a just a uh, treasure trove of longtime, well-established uh, character actors, actors, and a gorgeous, gorgeous movie. This uh, uh, coming from having lived sometime in South Dakota, I have a great appreciation for this landscape. But and actually, so, this is Santa Fe, New Mexico. But it's still you get the, the right. these wide open, well, the wide scrubby, open vistas and, and I swear, deserts. after you know, working on No Country for Old Men. Some of that stuff I recognize because the hills <gasps> are so. I'm. I don't know exactly where they shot, but there's one thing for sure: Santa Fe, New Mexico, is for making movies. Yeah, you know? it is inviting. <laughs> invites the eye and it, it, it invites introspec- introspection when you just see this this beautiful tableau and what what action has occurred here. It almost like begs that question. Now, one of the the very interesting elements of this movie, again in a social kind of aspect, is the Apaches are these pesky pesky kind of insects who always become the contingency pawn and everything but they're never really never really blamed they just get in the way and and if you give them too much this and then then they get out of control they figure into the story as an element but not a super big element right well and it's very interesting there is a scene where um James Stewart goes into the the, uh, the local church where they're having a wedding. Yeah. And the wedding, and a lot of the wedding guests are Pueblo Indians. And he even makes a comment That's about a cool about the Pueblo mm-hmm. Indians being very peaceful. And he's like, and the, and the the minister says, yes, yes, they're very peaceful. They're cave dwellers. Different from the Apache who have been fighters all their lives. But see, before the war, it was always Indians. Now they're defining that these people have separate personalities, they have separate cultures, they have, you know... I appreciated that about They don't this really movie. pat themselves on the back for doing it, which they do now. They had to, like, say, yeah, look at this guy. He has so much insight on this. But they don't do any of that. It just kind of, you know, like a car going, you know, stopping at a stop sign, going through the story. And it, it's, it, he weaves that in there. I don't know whether it was on purpose, but they deliberately handled Apache Indians in this movie with... A, a totally different, a totally different context. Right, and you're going to see. And when you movies. do finally see the Apache, they're not presented as bloodthirsty savages. They're, you know, they've been sold these rifles, and they're coming to pick them up. You know, and, right. And, and, right. and the people that are provoking them are not being socially responsible. <laughs> <laughs> a wagon load of, you know, Winchester 73 repeating rifles given to Indians. It's, it's just, it, they should really use some discernment on that decision. And right. well, it's, it's a really it's, cool scene when they go up there and pull it off. And then everything kind of comes together on the man from Laramie. <laughs> the mystery signs kind of fade away because now we're understanding you know, and then we're really for Jimmy Stewart, especially when he's pushing that wagon down the hill. You right, know? because they find out, and I don't know if you want to play the the spoiler alert here, because I have a feeling we are going to end up kind of giving away the ending. But well, we gotta, the movie is made in 1955. You know, it's really hard to. Bud, <laughs> Spudinsky. That's going to leave a mark. <laughs> yeah. But the, the basically the the turn of the trick is you find you find Dave and Vic involved with these selling of the rifles to the Indians. And it's really interesting because the first time you see the scene, they have, they've hidden the the um, the rifles and the ammunition in a wagon on top of a mountain. And Dave goes up there to send a smoke signal to alert the Indians to come and get their rifles. Yeah. And Vic makes him stop. 
And he says, basically, you know, we, we sold a few of these rifles to the Indians, and nobody knows we did it. Let's stop now. And Dave's like, no, I don't care. We're going to do this. Blah, 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 blah. And he ends up, and Vic ends up killing Dave over this. And then making up this whole story about how he found him on the trail, blah, 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 mm-hmm, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, to which the old man, who has kind of figured out something's funny going on because he finds this bill for a load He's of— He's not laughing, folks. He, he just, finds a, a, yeah. a load yeah. uh, a, a bill for a wagon load of, of uh, fence wire. And he's yeah. like, we don't build fences here. Why would we have a kit, you know, full of fence wire? And where is this wagon? So they go out looking for the wagon. And interestingly enough, like so many movies, at least three that we've reviewed, the man's losing his sight. And that's a metaphor for a lot of things in this movie. Yeah. Where denial. The I mean, old man, the, the, old the man father, the ranch he's owner. Fa- he's losing his sight and he can't tell what's going on. But it's the same thing as, as Arthur Kennedy piling up to him and, and basically lying to him. Right. And well, and you know, Kennedy's still going out and trying to convince the old man that you know he shouldn't, you know, gently try to dissuade him from looking into this because, of course, now he realizes that he's going to lose everything himself if old man Alec figures out that he was involved in this gun deal and that he killed his son. But he's still sort of like begging for this affection and approval, even after all these bad things that he's done. In fact, I wrote down the quote. He says, I loved you like only a boy who never had a father could. No, that's when we were talking to you this morning. Um, (laughs) She changed the gender around, you know, she's trying to be cleverer. But I loved it. It was such a great delivery on that line. And you you almost felt bad for this murdering, irresponsible, father stealing. Kennedy is one of those interesting actors who sadly is, I mean, he's been kind of put aside and he's. But he's one of those supporting actors that makes the star even brighter. He's very strong in this. He's very powerful. And and it's interesting because the ambiguity of his character all the way through the movies. Like at the beginning, you know, he's, you know, he saves Jimmy Stewart a couple of times. And they have this sort of on again, off again relationship where you think they're going to be friends. They're not. And he's obviously, he, you know, he's very much in love with Barbara himself. And what they he want gets all the good stuff. And, and, you know, Jimmy Stewart gets nothing, of course, but mm. grief and gets pounded on. All and these his movies, hand shot. All these movies that right. he did with <laughs> Anthony Mann are basically kind of him and Arthur Kennedy kind of, he becomes the anti Jimmy Stewart in most The anti Stewart. Yeah. And but yeah. that's what I say, George. What George says is he's been completely overlooked, but he's one of those guys that gets behind that actor and yeah. makes that actor, the star, look even better. I know that pretty much any film I've seen with Arthur Kennedy is just he's great, and it's usually a really good film. Too. Yeah, uh, you're listening to Filmically Perfect on ninety-one three WYSO. The film guys and I are talking about uh, the Man from Laramie, the nineteen fifty-five classic western film. Shot in Cinemascope, and it's so beautiful. And actually, um, it is, I believe, the only uh, Stuart Mann Western of the group to have been shot in Cinemascope. It's and also the last one for a primer, just remind us of the, the impact of Cinemascope. Oh, Cinemascope is a process by which a special lens is attached to the camera that has an anamorphic element in it. And what that does, it'll take a much wider vista and squeeze the image down onto 35 millimeter film. Then when the film is projected in the theater, another anamorphic lens is put onto the projector that then squeezes in this. Yeah. You will notice in this movie, that one of the reasons they did it, of course, because there's magnificent vistas that you see in mm-hmm. Santa Fe, New Mexico. Yeah. But you'll not see very close over-the-shoulder shots because they can't get real close to that subject before they start having problems well, yeah. with their lens. With that this, kind well, of camera point, specifically, right? In ni- well, in 1955, you know, CinemaScope had only been out for about a year. 
So this is a fairly early film, and the early CinemaScope lenses were somewhat primitive. They they had you know they had some issues with them. So yeah, big tight close-ups were not really a possibility at this time. And but that's fine because I mean, man. But you know and what? It was really worked so well. Together. What yeah. it was really great for was action. CinemaScope yeah. was a beautiful thing for action because it took. You don't see much strobing when you pan with a CinemaScope, right, George? No, that's right. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to pan. Very, I'm, very I'm sorry. What's strobing? Either. I'm sorry. Um, strobing is an effect that happens sometimes because as you're, you know, moving pictures are not actually moving. They are, you know, 24 still frames per second. Whipping by, whipping creating by, the illusion. And the shutter is opening and closing, so there's actually a moment of black between each frame as mm-hmm. you're watching it. And a strobing effect can happen if there's a bit of a... Sort of a disparity between the movement of the camera and the shutter that'll kind of make things kind of kind of bump 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 bump. bump as and you'll notice panning. in the fight oh. scenes, when, especially when he's down there around the cows fighting, that you know that kind of fighting, what they were doing is made for CinemaScope because it's wide, and you'll see a big a lot of roundhouse punches right. in that movie because of the also big... cows are kind of naturally wide, so they yeah. can fit more cows in the shot. When it's <laughs> you don't there. realize <laughs> what a problem that is until you shoot a cow and you get out there and you find out your lenses aren't wide enough. Believe me, I well, and I'm there. glad you mentioned that because I cannot think of another another film, and this is again. Seems be a very man a very much anthony man thing where he has this huge knockdown drag out fight between arthur kennedy and james stewart yeah in the middle of a cow pen yeah where they are just on the ground punching each other and these cows are walking all around them and just being disturbed basically and getting out of the way and just, it's just it's insane it's great it looks beautiful though it does uh, i'm i'm sure they used so much smoke there they had to wait in between takes and you know because <laughs> there's a lot of smoke in that scene man <laughs> you know something i've learned from you guys that i'm i, I really appreciate being aware of now uh, is the framing it was uh when we reviewed the searchers and first we Again, Real just to stuff. me, it was so important that you pointed out to me that we looked from the darkness inside through the open door, and that was sort of like the invitation to right. and start man, the show. Yeah, the, man, man is different from John Ford in that, in that there's not a, as much of that sort of but thoughtful kind of artsy fartsy. But stuff the like framing that. in oh, this frame is often oh, yeah. so so memorable and impactful. But remember, Anthony Mann was quite the expert at doing that with just a regular 6-6 six, six aspect ratio when he did T-Man and Raw Deal. Right. We did T-Man with John Alt, I think, was the cinema. John Alton, yes. And you watch that stuff. He's the kind of guy who can take just about anything and find its absolute potential, which is like this movie, Jimmy Stewart, there's no greater burden than potential. You know? Well, and, and Man himself is <laughs> such What a, this man's going to do because they're going to oh, hire him for I every range, I mean, Man know? is such an interesting director, and I'm so glad that he is being rediscovered because... You know, he he did these wonderful noir films first, and then he went in these really adulty westerns, which were which are quite powerful. And then out of center field, he does the Glenn Miller story. Yes, which mm. is really kind which of boring. And then strategic air command, which will make the hair fall off your arms, is so boring. And oh. then um, and then he started in on these big uh, sort of um, uh, old olden days epics. I mean, he did El Cid, yeah. and he did um, uh, the Fall of the Roman Empire. You know, Which, uh, after talking he, he to you, I, wanna, Vatus, I really want to see. He? he worked on Quo Vadis. He's not credited on it. He did some work on Quo Vadis. But, um, I mean, his film, and I have a feeling if, if we are agreeable to it, we may look more into Fall of the Roman Empire because it is an amazing piece of work. And it's, you know, but it's a totally different Anthony Mann. We have been talking about The Man from Laramie, which um, uh, absolutely creates that world. I mean, it existed there, but it captures it beautifully. 
Absolutely lovely. It sustains it throughout. You're right there with him. There's just a lot going on, and you're always uh, eagerly anticipating the next notion, the fact. And um, I think that this movie will endure. The Wild West seems to have that great potential, don't you think? It does. I mean, because I like to say this is not only a great Western it's a great movie that yeah, just happens yeah. to take place in the West. <laughs> this is Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. And gentlemen, we are just about out of time. Don't forget to visit the Film Guys at perfectmovie.net. Even better, send them a line at filmguys at perfectmovie.net. Plus, George has been up to some business on the intertubes. Er, look us up on Facebook. You can find us at npr.org, wyso.org, or go to the source, perfectmovie.net. J. Todd Anderson, thank you for being here. Goodbye. George Willeman, thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.